Hello, my rebels. Today, I try and make sense of Justin Trudeau uh, precipitously, suddenly, spontaneously announcing an end to the no-fly rule for unvaccinated people like me. And uh, I don't think it was for any thoughtful reason or scientific reason. I think it was just uh, PR reasons and photo op reasons and panic reasons. I'll give you my explanation of things. I'll be interested to know what you have to hear, what you have to say about it. Before I do, I want to invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's the video version of this podcast. Obviously, there's a lot to see in these podcasts, not just to hear, but also it's not just my show you get with Rebel News Plus. That's the video version. You get Rebel News Plus, you're getting four shows a week from my colleagues, plus my daily show. That's 36 shows a month just for eight bucks. What a bargain. And it's how we survive because we don't get any money from Trudeau. We rely on you. So please go to rebelnewsplus.com. Thanks a million. Here's today's show. Tonight, Justin Trudeau finally announces the end of his airplane vaccine mandates. It's June 14th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Today, Justin Trudeau's cabinet announced the end of the vaccine mandate required to fly on airplanes in this country. Other than China and North Korea, Canada was the only place in the world that would segregate its citizens this way, punish them. It was clearly a vendetta. Trudeau and his transport minister, Omar Al-Gabra, had repeatedly said that they intend to continue this discrimination, that they were checking the science regularly as if they ever did. So why did Trudeau end the no-fly list for his unvaccinated enemies so precipitously? I should tell you that yesterday, at the same time this story was leaked to CBC and other networks, our reporters in Ottawa, by chance, bumped into Omar Al-Gabra on the streets. They were there for another reason, and they literally bumped into him. Here, it's a one-minute interaction you can see Lincoln J in there and a very new reporter, literally his first week on the job, William Diaz Bertium. Take a look at them accosting Omar Algabra and take a look at what Algabra himself says. Rebel News. What did you think of the fact that Canada is the only country with China and North Korea that doesn't allow unvaccinated citizens travel to plane? How are you? I'm super good. How about you? I'm fine. Can you answer my question? When will the travel mandates end for unvaccinated citizens? Does Ontario have a different? Does Ontario have a different science than the federal government? Do you have like different scientists? Have a good evening. Do you have different scientists? Have a good evening. Are you able to answer one question, sir? You've been elected by people. Sir, is there any? Sir, is there any hope for unvaccinated travelers to board a plane or a train? Have a good evening. Is there any hope, sir? As I said, science is. But the science changes. Ontario is not the same as the federal. Do you have different scientists? Have a good evening. Different scientists? Sir, is there any hope for unvaccinated Some travelers point. anytime soon? China and North Korea, sir. When will it end? Is it going to be forever? Forever, sir? 
I think that's an embarrassment to the government. I think refusing to answer plain questions like that shows a shiftiness and a um, lack of transparency. I think it shows an arrogance learned from his boss, Justin Trudeau. But it also suggests that maybe Omar al-Gabra himself was not involved with the decision to end the mandates. Today, I'm going to take you through some reasons uh, that I think that the no-fly zone was ended for unvaccinated people. And I'm going to tell you why I think it actually happened, not why it should have happened. And I'm also going to point out how there are certain mandates and restrictions on unvaccinated people that remain. I think it all started at the end of January when the trucker convoy broke the false consciousness uh, that this endless lockdown was accepted by all Canadians. See, everyone agreed, right? All the governments in Canada and all the opposition parties, all the media, all the courts, not a single judge had struck anything down. All the businesses, they all propagated this false consciousness that there was unanimity, that everyone in Canada agreed. Point to me, someone who didn't, they were just kooks. Well, then the truckers broke that and proved that millions of Canadians didn't agree. They gave a voice to people. And you'll remember the ash conformity test that we showed you. As long as there's one other person willing to say, the world is mad and I don't agree, that gives everyone else tremendous confidence to say so too. The conformity was shattered by the truckers. Now, that didn't dissuade Trudeau. In fact, it made him angrier. It made him even more vengeful. But it showed Canadians they were no longer alone if they disagreed with Trudeau's civil liberties bonfire and the junk science. And the truckers did have a success. They removed Aaron O'Toole, Trudeau's conservative lockdown collaborator. And I say that importantly because his job was to oppose and he refused to oppose. If it were not for Aaron O'Toole agreeing to, assenting to everything that Trudeau did, perhaps we wouldn't have gone as deep down this road and perhaps we would have gotten out of it sooner. But still, Trudeau persisted. As every other country in the world abandoned their lockdowns and their limitations on flights, Canada went rogue and got harsher. And why not, really? I mean, Jagmeet Singh gave Trudeau an effective majority by promising to prop him up. And Look, 99% of journalists were on the take with his bailout. They weren't going to oppose him. No judge stopped Trudeau. Why would he relent? That's the thing about Trudeau. He can be quite petty. To relent would mean to give the truckers a victory. Now, you remember a few weeks ago, I pointed out that WestJet's new CEO, a foreigner, a newcomer to Canada, only on the job a few months, unfamiliar with the submissive obedience of our corporate class, he called for the end of the mandates. It was very exciting, and I thought it would be the perfect moment for others to join in, but his cowardly counterparts at Air Canada and the other airlines knew better than to challenge Trudeau. Every CEO was silent, and even if they hadn't been, who cares? Not Trudeau. It's funny, I'm talking about CEOs. Let me show you about a tweet just today. By Perrin Beattie, the head of the Canadian Chamber of Commerce, Perrin Beattie, who decades ago was actually a cabinet minister himself. So his job was to be an advocate for business. And yet he literally waited till today to come out against vaccine mandates. Until the battle was won, until it was over, he was silent as a mouse for two years. Well, I guess 
He was serving his true masters, not mom and pop shops, not customers, not anything to do with freedom. But I think Amazon loved the last two years and Netflix loved the last two years and Walmart managed to get an exemption for itself. What a gross display of Canadian cowardice. But just like the truckers were an unexpected force, so was an American hockey player, former NHL player turned journalist, Ryan Whitney. I showed you his viral video the other day. He was trapped in Toronto's Pearson Airport for a full day. And he was so exasperated, he made a viral video about, as you know, it got more than 2 million views. It's a short video. I want to play it for you again because I want to show you the power of this stranger, not even a Canadian. Remember this? Hey, guys. Whit here. I don't even really know where to explain. So for people telling me to drive, I can't drive. They have my bags. They won't give them back. So I had Edmonton to Toronto yesterday. I landed around 3. I then had Toronto to Boston at 8.30. Customs was about three hours. Got through. Flight canceled from Toronto to Boston. All right. At this point, now I go and I see there is a 400-person line with two Air Canada workers. There's a million canceled flights. Everyone's just panicking. So I waited in that line about six hours. At near the end of the line, by the way, you know how much my feet hurt? Near the end of the line, they closed it. They just said, oh, you have to go somewhere else. We had to re-enter Canada. We had to go through Canadian customs. So by the time I finally see someone from Air Canada, it's 1 a.m. I said, can I just get my bags? I had a ride to Buffalo all set up and I had a JetBlue flight from Buffalo. I just need to get out of this country, out of this airport. This is the worst airport on earth. I'm telling you, there's no other airport like this. That's why we were freed today. Not because of any political party, not because of any judge, not because of the media party, but because the truckers broke the trance the Canadians were in. They broke the false unanimity where the Establishment had convinced millions of us that resistance was futile. And then an American sports journalist with a sense of humor pointed out that the emperor had no clothes and that we were living in a terrible way to live. And the safest bet of all for why we were freed today is that Justin Trudeau's own corruption and lawlessness, he just can't help himself. Here's what I mean. I don't know if you saw the news, but Justin Trudeau, who claims to be, what, triple jabbed or whatever, he's got COVID, he says. Sounds like he might have picked it up on his latest vacation in the United States. He was coming back from the United States. He had COVID. He knew it. He crossed into Canada by plane while he was sick, while he had COVID, while he, had in, while he was infectious. Now, of course, he's not going to be quarantined. He's already shown that before. Last time he got it, he didn't want to stay in the quarantine. He flies sick. He flies without a mask. He flies into Canada sick. That's against the law. His own arrogance ensured that his discrimination was untenable because how could he do that the same day telling Canadians they had to follow his absurd laws? The constitutional challenge, by the way, uh, to the no-fly list that the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms is doing with Brian Peckford as one of the plaintiffs. That is still continuing, and I'm glad it will. 
because we need to air the facts. Why did this flight ban get imposed in the first place? What junk science were they relying on or was it all politics? Why was it maintained for so long? And, and more than just knowing, we need the courts to strike it down and say clearly it was unconstitutional. The Supreme Court has not heard a single case regarding the lockdowns. Why? Why are they, are they busy with other things? Why didn't they choose to fast track a constitutional challenge? Why didn't they say, this is so important, we're going to deal with it? In two years, they've done nothing. So much for the vaunted charter of rights that was promised to protect us all. What a lie it's been. Those are some reasons that Trudeau moved suddenly. But here's another one. Like I said, Aaron O'Toole was defenestrated by the truckers, and I'm so glad because he's given us a chance to have a real opposition. I want to show you an example of that opposition. This is a three-minute video. I'm going to play the whole thing. It's Pierre Polyev, who's one of the candidates for the leadership of the Conservative Party, and if my sense is correct, I think he's going to win. He did a video at Pearson Airport, and it's so high energy and lively. It's so well shot. It's one shot. He starts walking in the airport. And he comes outside. I love how he whips off his mask. And he describes what's going on at the airport so clearly. This video has half a million views on Twitter, a couple hundred thousand more on YouTube, a true viral video. This is something that Aaron O'Toole never did. And had Aaron O'Toole opposed, like his title opposition leader told him to do, and had he been conservative, as his party level claims he would do, I think Aaron O'Toole would still be the opposition leader today. In fact, he probably would be the prime minister. But look at this from Pierre Polyev just a couple of days ago. And maybe this was a reason why Trudeau decided to rip off the Band-Aid all at once. Take a look. I'd call it hell, but it's more like purgatory. Purgatory is a place where you go to wait. And that's what all these people are doing. They're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting just to drop off their bags. Then, God forbid, they might have an international flight. They'd have to go through customs where they'll wait and wait and wait. And of course, there's security as well. People have been talking about waiting four hours at this Toronto International Airport, Pearson, mostly because the Prime Minister continues to impose unjustified vaccine and other COVID-related restrictions that the world left behind long ago. For example, Processing times at customs are quadrupled because of the ongoing COVID restrictions. And of course, much of the workforce that normally makes these places operate and run are banned from working because of their vaccine status. Now, this all at a time, thank God I can take this off and breathe again. This at a time when the rest of the world has moved on. Many of the countries have gotten rid of all these restrictions. All 10 provinces have gotten rid of the COVID restrictions. The banks are getting rid of them and the airlines have requested that the federal government do the same in its jurisdiction. But Trudeau wants to hold on because this pandemic has all been about a power trip for him. Remember, when it first struck, he wanted to use COVID as an excuse to give himself the power to raise any tax to any level for any reason without a parliamentary vote. He then went on to try and pass laws restricting what you see and you say on the internet. He eventually used the Emergency Act to freeze people's bank accounts. Countless other examples of power trips that he thought that he could get away with and he continues to, to strive to produce. Now, many people thought they weren't affected 
by the, this power trip. Well, now if they ever try to take a flight from this godforsaken place, they know that even if they're vaccinated, they are suffering the consequences of policies that were designed just to punish the unvaccinated minority. Friends, we have here a prime minister who is dividing our population for his own political gain. And now everyone is paying the price for those divisions. We need to get rid of this guy, unite the country for freedom, not just because freedom is right, but because it is practical. We can get the gatekeepers out of the way in so many areas, whether it's producing energy or allowing our immigrants to work in their professions or allowing our unvaccinated people to safely go back to work as people have been doing all around the world. Everyone will be better off. Freedom makes us all better off. Let's move forward to Unite for Freedom. And for God's sakes, let's get our airports working again. That's a great video. Pierre Polyev has shown he can go around the media with a strong message, connect directly to real people. Now, the liberal pollsters we talked about the other day, Abacus Data, they lament the loss of trust in institutions. They blame conspiracy theories. But the government, the opposition parties, the courts, the media, the NGOs, the medical profession, academics, they were all colluding against our rights. It, it actually was an open conspiracy. And I think it became too much when Trudeau flouted the rules. Not one of those institutions fought to free us. Not Perrin Beattie of the Chamber of Commerce. The Globe and Mail, which claims to be Canada's national newspaper, which claims to believe in the Charter of Rights, did not write editorial after editorial demanding an end to the junk science ban on air travel. The Toronto Star, which claims to stand for civil liberties, none of them actually gave a damn. They accepted it because it didn't affect them. They, they could travel. In fact, not only did they accept the uh, segregation and the vaccine mandate, they denounced anyone who complained, even denounced them as Russia sympathizers. I'm not kidding. Never forget those who abandoned you these last two years, who abandoned Canadian values like freedom and privacy. Never forget them as they gaslight you now, as they pretend they were on your side the whole time like Perrin Beattie. It was the truckers who did it. It was Ryan Whitney, an American sports journalist, who freed us. Maybe it was Pierre Polyev's video. I don't know if Pierre, if Omar Alagabra actually even knew the news when our reporters accosted him on the street. He didn't seem like it. Uh, I want to tell you, though, that... Um, it's not all good news. Here's a clip of Omar Al-Gabra today indicating that there are still restrictions. You cannot get on a cruise ship. If you come back to Canada, you still must be under quarantine. Take a look. And I'm pleased to announce that on June 20th, our government will suspend the requirement to be vaccinated in order to board a plane or train in Canada. Employers in the federally regulated transportation sector will also no longer need to have vaccination requirement for their employees. The suspension of the vaccine mandate was informed by key indicators, including the epidemiological situation and modeling, vaccine science, and high levels of vaccination against COVID-19 in Canada. As for travelers coming to Canada by air, land, and marine, there are no changes. All travelers entering Canada must continue to follow 
all entry requirements, including vaccination and using a RiveCan. As for cruise ships, vaccination for passengers and crew will remain in place. Notice the language they're using. These uh, mandates are suspended. They might bring them back. The government today also suggested that they might add a third shot as the new definition of fully vaccinated. So all of a sudden, millions more Canadians lose that status. Now, why would they bother to do that if they didn't have plans to use that status? Why do they care that fully vaccinated now means three shots instead of two? What difference would it make if it weren't mandatory, if something didn't turn on it? I think that this was just to get Trudeau out of a pickle, to get him out of the pickle of breaking his own laws by coming into Canada sick with COVID, to break the pressure on him from that American journalist and actually Pierre Polyev making a great uh, opposition video. But you don't call it a suspension if you don't intend to reserve the right to bring it back. And you don't expand the definition of fully vaccinated if you don't plan to use it. My friends, I'm afraid that we are not done this battle yet. And the only reason we have the reprieve we do, I have to say, is not thanks to anyone in the establishment. For us here at Rebel News, it's a flicker of hope. Many of our staff, including myself, have not been able to fly, let alone outside the country. We couldn't even fly within our own country. It made it hard to do journalism, but harder just to live. There are some people in Rebel News I've actually never met yet. They work in other places across the country too far to come here. So in the days and weeks ahead, we'll slowly return to the air as we used to do. We used to fly around, as you know, doing a lot of great journalism. That's why in our recent trip to Davos, Switzerland, we only had teammates from Australia, the UK, and the United States attending. No Canadians were allowed. They were allowed into Switzerland. Switzerland does not discriminate based on VAC status. You can fly there if you're vaxxed or not. Canada had a kind of Berlin Wall to keep people in. That's gone for now, but more restrictions remain. I promise you that Rebel News will continue to fight against those remaining restrictions, and we'll fight like hell if they try and bring them back again, as the word suspension and this new triple-dose definition suggests. Stay with us for more. We'll talk to the lawyer behind the Brian Peckford constitutional challenge next. There's a lot of uh, good news today for people who've been living as second-class citizens without any wrongdoing, without any trial, just simply because you're on Trudeau's enemies list because you wouldn't do what he said. You wouldn't get vaccinated, even if you had a perfectly good reason not to be vaccinated, like you chose not to, or a medical reason, like you had natural immunity, you got sick and got better. Why would you take a vaccine? Or for whatever reason, like you wanted the vaccine to be fully tested before you used it, or you came to the conclusion that you were not at high risk and that maybe the COVID-19 disease was not as bad as has been said, especially in the early days when we didn't know that much. Whatever the case is, uh, there was good news, but there were hints of more bad news to come. A hint that you must now be triple jabbed to be considered fully jabbed. Well, why is that relevant? unless there's going to be some new requirement for it. And, of course, to say suspend rather than terminate the airline mandates, of course, there are still mandates you can't get on a cruise ship if you're not vaccinated. So we're not done yet. 
But uh, there are reasons why this happened. I gave you some theories. But there is also a very important lawsuit working its way through the courts far too slowly for my liking. And I say shame on the courts for not seizing it and fast-tracking it to answer so many questions. I think our courts have been positively lazy in dealing with the uh, constitutionality of these lockdowns compared to the United States Supreme Court, which was issuing rulings months into things. I'm referring, of course, to the lawsuit by Brian Peckford, the former premier and signer of the Constitution, and other Canadians who have filed an excellent charter challenge of these vaccine mandates on airlines. You'll recall that we went through the lawsuit page by page with Brian Peckford himself, and we also spoke to the chief lawyer behind the case, Keith Wilson, who's taking the matter for the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Well, I'm delighted to have Keith Wilson, the lawyer behind that case, on the show now, live via Skype from his Alberta office. Keith, great to see you again. Thanks for making the time on what is surely a very busy day for you. Been very busy indeed. Well, thanks for jamming us in. Now, just before we turn the camera on, you mentioned that you were on a conference call with the government of Canada lawyers. Now, I know there's certain things you're not at liberty to tell us about because you have a, you know, you, you want a good working relationship with the other lawyers and there's certain things that are confidential. But is it uh, true to say they wanted you to abandon this lawsuit? Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, they've taken the position that because the travel mandate forcing millions of Canadians either into vaccination or depriving them of their fundamental rights of mobility and flying, um, that they say we should just drop our, our charter challenge and drop our court case because the government's now suspended that mandate. And uh, uh, we said, no, uh, our intention is to proceed with the case. This is clearly something the court needs to rule on. Um, the government said numerous times, the various ministers in the press conference today, that they will uh, re-invoke the travel mandates without hesitation. They will re-invoke the federal worker and the airport worker mandates without hesitation. So we're going to take them on their word and we want this to go to court. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think that was a long shot of the government to try and get you just to walk away. It was a, it's an excellent document. I, our viewers will remember we went through it page by page. There's important reasons to have this trial, even if the issue feels moot today. As you said, it could come back at any time. The government said that. But we, we need to learn more. We need to learn on what basis this was made if it was motivated by politics, which I suspect, because we need to know what the government, how it came up with this. It was all done in secret. There was no debate in Parliament over this. And and we need the courts to weigh in on whether or not that's acceptable under the Charter because we just simply have not had our courts speak out on any of these lockdowns, and this is one of the worst. Let me shine some light on something here for the first time. I've been very quiet recently because we have been in cross-examinations uh, on the Peckford Charter Challenge. So the government brought forth a surprising number of, of government officials and external experts, 16 in total. Hmm. And so these are the people that the ministers keep referring to as we're relying on the experts. And the testimony that we got from those experts in cross-examination 
even today, it's still going on. It started mid-May and the cross-examinations are scheduled to conclude at the end of June. It's just been a grueling daily schedule here. Mm -hmm. But for example, the head epidemiologist for the Public Health Agency of Canada admitted while I was cross-examining her that they never recommended vaccination of air travelers. Huh. I was stunned. Huh. And I can provide you the transcript. I can provide you with her affidavit. The written advice that they provided did not identify vaccination as a mitigation strategy. They identified masking. They identified uh, spacing at arrivals, departures, and on the plane and things like that, a quarantine area if someone was sick. Um, but And when I put it to her that they hadn't, in fact, recommended vaccination, this is the head epidemiologist for the government of Canada, she said, she volunteered that the reason is the scientific evidence doesn't support that it would be effective. So we've, through this trial, we've had this incredible disconnect where we've had the politicians saying, oh, the experts are telling us this. We're cross-examining the experts and looking at their filed evidence. It's not saying this. And they're saying, oh no, this is a political decision. Clearly the government, the liberal government has been playing politics with Canadians fundamental charter rights. You know, it sounds very similar to when the public safety minister and the prime minister were saying um, the police demanded that we invoke the Emergencies Act. The police did it. We just relied on their advice. And all the police chiefs in question said, we never asked for that. Don't don't put it on us. Uh, politics, lack of transparency, lack of honesty. Uh, it, it It's clear why they had to get Jody Wilson-Raybould out of there because I don't you know, you know the, the ministers they have in there will literally do or say anything for their political goals. That's stunning. And yes, please do. If you're able to send us the transcripts of this, we would love to, to do journalism about it. The head epidemiologist for Public Health Canada saying they never well, recommended this. That's shocking. Not only that, the head policy expert for Transport Canada testified and included in her affidavit that they made a conscious decision not to grant exemptions uh, for travel on compassionate grounds. Hmm. That was a conscious decision to deprive Canadians who are trying to get a parent who is trying to get to their adult child's bedside who's been injured in a car accident and dying on the other side of the country. Someone trying to get to their um, elderly parent's bedside while they're dying of cancer or to their funeral or to a graduation. They made a conscious decision in order to incentivize Canadians to get vaccinated to, to do that. It's just remarkable, the evidence that's come out. But so, yeah, and, and this is in the if somebody's really keen, you can search at the courthouse. You'll get their affidavits. They're part of the public record and you'll be very surprised what's in there. That's incredible. So basically, they said at people's worst day in their lives, when yeah. they're in panic, when they have hours left to visit with a loved one before they die, when there's a crisis, that's the perfect time to get them, to force them to get jabbed. Although actually it wouldn't even work because you need to have one jab, wait, get two jabs. Like it doesn't even make sense other than as a vendetta, other than as a punishment, uh, which is not connected to the goal of public health, just a political punishment for those who dare to object to Justin Trudeau's demands. That's, in, that's incredible. So that's the head of policy for Transport Canada. Yes, Ezra, speaking of punishment, you, I had to listen carefully today. Did you notice whose mandate continues of all the sectors? Travelers, mm -hmm. 
federal government workers mm -hmm. and workers at um, at airports mm -hmm. all had the vaccine mandate lifted. Mm -hmm. Did you notice the group that got left out? Who was that? Truckers. Oh my God. Well, truckers. It, You're the it, only group that's left. Oh, and I don't know, was there something that happened in Ottawa that might have upset our prime minister? So the only group that has not had their mandate lifted today is truckers. And if, if, you know, of all of those groups of soldiers, of RCMP officers, of government workers, think who interacts, yeah. you know, who is most at risk of spreading to use yeah. their phrase, yeah. airline passengers, train passengers, of all those groups now throw in truckers, yeah. which one of those sits in a cab by themselves for 12 yeah. hours a day? Yeah. Other than, other than a lighthouse keeper, I can't think of a more solitary job than a long haul trucker. But he, this is about revenge. This is about him teaching them a lesson. Speaking of which, I understand that you are the lawyer for Tamara Litch. I think we spoke about that last time. She was under. Yeah, well, a, I'm the, go ahead. I'm the lawyer for Tamara Litch. And to be clear, uh, Tamara and the other um, leaders of the Freedom Convoy are facing. They've been attacked on multiple sides legally. So I'm through the Justice Center defending those. But with respect to the criminal charges, I help coordinate it. But we've brought in a very skilled uh, criminal team from Ottawa criminal, of criminal defense lawyers that are, are working on that. So uh, I'm dealing with um, other issues that legal issues, that class action lawsuit that was filed against the, the Freedom Convoy uh, for $306 million by the class action personal injury lawyer from Ottawa mm -hmm. and several other uh, um, criminal code orders by the attorney general of Ontario trying to seize money and seize bank accounts and things like that. So I'm, I'm dealing hands-on with those aspects. So they're still trying to seize money. It, does this have to do with the bank account seizures or is this with the GoFundMe, the Give, Send, Go and the, and the cryptocurrency? Are they still going after private bank accounts? Uh, no, they're not going after private bank accounts, but two things. One, the bulk of the work that I've had to do legally has been relating to the crypto and the 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 GoFundMe monies and the give, send, go that didn't get refunded back to the donors. Mm -hmm. But what my clients are reporting to me, and not just Tamara, but others uh, who had their bank accounts frozen, they've now come up to things like they're trying to get some financing to, in one instance, buy another transport truck. Mm -hmm. And they get denied point blank because there's a big red dot on their file. Yeah. And I've had a number of instances of that. And we figured out no way to get that red dot off. And it's interesting. You'll recall, you may recall, Ezra, that the head of, or it was, might have been the legal counsel, it was a senior representative of the Canadian Banking Association testified before the House of Commons Committee back in uh, April and said that these that that the freeze order, even though lifted against these people's personal bank accounts, it would last with them for 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 life. And we're certainly seeing that the persecution that's occurring to people because they've stood up to Trudeau and demanded that their rights and the rule of law be respected is uh, very un-Canadian. I absolutely believe it. I mean, I had a very small experience with that in December when Rebel News went to buy a building in Calgary, small building. I've been a Royal Bank customer for decades. And they told me on the phone, it's because my politics were wrong. And I, you know, this was even before the truckers. It was just because of my journalism. I can imagine 
if the Emergencies Act was uh, invoked and Trudeau said what he said, no bank would want to cross Trudeau. It's not that they actually think Tamara Litch is a risk. It's that if it became known to Justin Trudeau that a bank gave her a loan, Trudeau would wreak his revenge on that bank. And they just don't want to risk a regulation, a punishment from Trudeau to the bank. I, I, I noted this in my monologue. The only CEO in Canada that I saw that was willing to stand up to this mandate until today was the WestJet CEO, who was a foreigner, who only joined WestJet a few months ago, um, who doesn't understand that in Canada you don't criticize Trudeau. Everyone from Canada sort of said, shh, be careful, you're crazy, don't do it. It's like they, it's like this newcomer didn't realize he was going to be crushed. Air Canada didn't chime in. All the other little airlines didn't chime in. They said, oh my God, that guy's going to get massacred. There, there was not a domino effect of others saying, I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. He, he was alone. And I don't know if, if WestJet has been punished, but it wouldn't surprise me if he will be. Uh, an airline, a bank, they're both highly regulated. I'm worried for WestJet that they'll get punished. Well, I mean, look at the pattern. Look what happened today. The most solitary of all of the sectors who were impacted by the mandates is the truckers. And today, the government announced it's lifting the mandates for everybody else but the truckers. Yeah. I've, I've joked in a very dark gallows humor type way is the next image we're going to have of Trudeau and his ministers around him with those little notepads that you see uh, um, in North Korea, you know, yeah. when the dear leader, because everything yeah. he says, and they yeah. all write it down, yeah. oh, yeah. dear leader. Yeah. It's clear that these ministers are there because of their loyalty. Yeah. If you look at the debacle at the airports, any other government, Harp or other, would have let that minister go. Yeah. And just to be clear, because a lot of people don't know this, Part of the reason for the bottleneck at the airports is the mandates that the government brought in applied to the to the ground crews, the baggage handlers, the security clearance people. Right, right. Almost 2,000 2, security clearance people, they call them CATSA workers, yeah. um, that do the security, lost their jobs because of the VAX mandate. And today, the federal minister of transport boasts that they're hiring 600 back. Come yeah. on. Yeah. So the reason you're having delays when you land to even pull up to a gate because there's no ground crews, that's yeah. directly related result of the federal VAX mandate. Yeah. The reason you're sitting at the gate and the doors close and you're ready to leave, but you can't because the baggage is bags aren't loaded is again, directly the result. So the bottlenecks at the airport aren't just a result of the can app and the testing and the checking passport for vaccination, it's the fact that the infrastructure has been gutted by this ill-conceived, punitive, vindictive measure by the Trudeau government. Yeah. Well, listen, I've learned so much from you today. I'm very interested in these transcripts, if you're at liberty to share them, if they are in the public domain. Um, I'm very glad to hear you intend uh, on taking this trial to term. I think it's necessary. I certainly wouldn't trust this government. I would like you to step out of your role as lawyer for a minute, and I don't know if you feel comfortable doing this, and become political prognosticator. Um, do you think that in the fall, they'll come up with a new variant, it's, you know, it's flu season, whatever, cases go up in the, you know, they always go up 
in over Christmas. Do you think they're going to try and bring this back? Does a kid, once they discover their favorite ice cream, want more? Yeah. The bureaucrats and their political masters have tasted power with an intensity and flavor that they've never had before. Um, they have tested us. Look at how long Canada went being the only G7 country to have these types of mandates, mm -hmm. being the only country in the developed world to have these restrictions on its own citizens in the country of the second largest landmass of the world where we're dependent on air travel and train travel. Yeah. So no, they've tasted power, Ezra. They love it. They're going to hate every day between now and some day in September when they say, oh, there's a new variant or you know, someone's got the flu. I saw someone with a Kleenex box. Quick, let's mm -hmm. uh, bring the mandates back. And I think they're going to come back with triple jab. You opened with that. The uh, I believe it was the health minister came right out and said that. The evidence from all the experts coming out in the cross-examinations in the Peckford case, it's all clear. It's even right in the government's own affidavits. We don't even have to get it out and cross. Is that after six months, the effectiveness of double vaccination against Omicron is Omicron is either zero, the best study says 20%. Mm -hmm. So we've been playing this charade of politics um, for months now. And uh, I think it's almost certain, unless there's significant pushback from Canadians uh, and we're successful in some of our court cases that we're gonna be right back uh, where we were yesterday mm -hmm. uh, again in September. Well, I, I think you're probably right. The government will do those things again, but will the population accept it again? I'm shocked. I, I go around the streets of the city and I can't believe how many people are still wearing masks voluntarily outside in their car by themselves. It's it's like they loved um, the comfort of the chains on their uh, the shackles and the chains. So there I think mm. some people who love uh, it, it's like sometimes someone who's been in prison for 20 years. Uh, they don't want to leave because they've grown accustomed to the structure uh, and the authority of a prison. There are some people who love their cell. Um, they will love the return of it. The media will love the return. Pfizer will love the return of it. But Canadians who, you know, normal, in the middle of the, you know, bell curve kind of regular folks, do you think they will accept vaccine mandates being brought back in any sphere, including airfare, including if they are now called the unvaccinated because they only have had two shots. I guess my question is, will Canadians accept it? We know Trudeau wants it. Will Canadians accept it? Well, time will tell. I mean, one of the things that I, I have observed is that uh, more and more unvax or more and more vaccinated Canadians have aligned with the unvaccinated and said, this is ridiculous. Mm. You know, you know, initially we were all sold this bill of goods that it would be like a normal vaccine as opposed to a preventative treatment. And by taking the vaccine, like when you took the polio vaccine, you wouldn't get polio. When you took, you know, the pneumonia vaccine, you wouldn't get pneumonia. If you took the herpes vaccine or, or shingles vaccine, you wouldn't get shingles. Um, and we all now realize that's not the case at all. And we all are used to this, you know, oh, I've been diagnosed with uh, with uh, COVID. 
Uh, I'm recovering at home. I'm sure glad I'm vaccinated. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it didn't stop you from getting it or spreading it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm hoping enough Canadians have said, wait a minute, this just doesn't seem right. Mm. And will be more prepared to, to vo- exercise their voice and say, I don't support this. This is not, you know, think of our national anthem. I've thought about this a lot lately. True North, strong and free. Yeah. True North, strong and free. Yeah. I really hope that Canadians reflect on that and we get back to living that motto and calling out governments when they don't. Yeah. Well, I hope you're right. That's a good note to end on. Keith Wilson, thanks very much for your time. And we're lucky to get you on this busy day. You're wrangling with the government lawyers on the other side. Keep up uh, the great work. Uh, I look forward to the trial, and uh, hopefully it won't be derailed by this. Wouldn't surprise me if the government tries to throw the case out, but this must be heard, and I think you're the man to do it. Thanks very much for this. Thanks, Ezra. All right, there you have it. Keith Wilson, lawyer for the truckers and uh, for this very important case uh, with Brian Peckford as one of the plaintiffs challenging the flight mandate. Stay with us. Your letters to me are next. Welcome back. Your viewer feedback to me. Referring to the polling by Abacus Data, Ardentes Fortuna Luvat says the fact that these are the questions posed proves their validity. Yeah, you always have to be careful when you look at questions. Now, I am interested in this issue, in who trusts what, and do people know about the World Economic Forum? That's a pretty obscure thing. And if 20% of Canadians know about it, that's is sort of impressive. Now, maybe people were just saying they knew because no one wants to sound dumb if you're asked a question and haven't heard of it. It also, though, tells me what is in the mind of the Liberal Party. This abacus data is a good, uh, I don't know, proxy for what the brain trust and Trudeau's campaign is about. Yes, I think there were definitely flaws with the questions. I mean, whether or not the World Economic Forum has a strategy to conquer the world is sort of obvious. They do. Uh, I think the real question is, are they succeeding? Can they do it? Um, Not do they want to. Of course they want to. They say that. So I think the questions were a little bit flawed, but still, it was useful, I think, uh, to go through it. Steve says, Syria and Libya count as wars, Ezra. Unless we're pulling a Putin and saying bombing campaigns are fundamentally different from war. You're right. Stephen Harper committed... Uh, a warship and hundreds of uh, military personnel to Libya. That was a disaster that replaced Muammar Gaddafi, who had rather repented for his sins. He paid billions in settlements to his terrorism victims. He had renounced weapons of mass destruction. He had come around to the West point of view. And Hillary Clinton demanded that we join that war and replace him with what? ISIS and open air slave markets? Just atrocious. I'm not sure if Canada was actually involved in Syria. We were involved in Libya in a small way. I don't think we were involved in Syria, but that place has been a disaster too. DV says, impossible to digest Mendocino's lying words causes the dry heaves. You know what I find in Mark Mendocino, who is in some ways the most powerful uh, person in cabinet other than the prime minister, when you're public safety ministry of access to the police, the spy agencies, things like that, the border, So to have a complete liar with no moral fiber like him is terrifying. How opposite he is from Jody Wilson-Raybould. Look at Omar Al-Gabra, just 
literally would do whatever Trudeau told him to. He's a, he's a bit of a fool. I don't think he was involved in today's decisions. Um, if you look through the Trudeau cabinet, you find it's full of people like that, people who only know how to talk or schmooze or politic or campaign, but have no idea how to solve an actual problem. What a difference uh, it makes between Donald Trump, who spent his whole life as a doer, a, a problem solver, uh, a fixer upper, uh, who had measurable goals, build the building or not, fix that ice skating rink in Central Park or not. What actually has Omar Al-Gabra done in his life? He led a radical anti-Semitic lobby group called the Canadian Arab Federation. That's what he did before he became an MP, not exactly uh, a constructive group. Most of Trudeau's cabinet has never done anything but politic. They were expressly hired for political reasons, and it shows. He doesn't actually know how to do anything. That's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom. And let me leave you with an interesting video of the day from our New York correspondent, Jeremy Lafredo. A very strange story of the New York Police Department honoring Pfizer while thousands of unvaccinated cops are on the verge of being fired. How did that happen? I'll see you later. Jeremy Lafredo for Rebel News outside of New York City Police Department's annual gala. Unlike past galas, the department won't be honoring fallen officers or detectives for keeping the city safe, but instead they'll be honoring serial felon Pfizer, the pharmaceutical behemoth and manufacturer of the COVID-19 vaccine. CEO Albert Borla will be here to accept the award on behalf of Pfizer for Pfizer's, quote, commitment to public safety. For a law enforcement agency, it's especially interesting that the New York City Police are dedicating a whole evening and a once-a-year event to a corporation that has paid over $10 billion in penalties and is the culprit of the largest healthcare fraud in United States history. This NYPD Pfizer Gala marks the third high-end invite-only event for Pfizer CEO Albert Borla this month. Last week, he was at the notoriously secretive Bilderberg meeting inside an officially undisclosed location in Washington, D.C. with the director of the CIA, the chief AI scientist from Facebook, and other titans of industry, government, as well as military to discuss the policy agendas of the future. Two weeks ago, Borla was in Davos, Switzerland at the World Economic Forum explaining the reason Pfizer has a surplus of COVID vaccines is because there aren't enough, quote, educated people in the world who believe the vaccine is good. We are now throwing those into the garbage. It's, it's sad to say I'm in the process of throwing 30 million doses into the garbage because nobody wants them. Uh, we have a big demand problem. We right now have uh, governments, we try to contact, not only Seth who is doing great work with his team trying to get demand into the countries, but also we contacted through the, Washingtons in, the embassies in Washington, every country, and nobody wants to take them. And so the challenge we have now is, it's a very different situation than we had two years ago. The problem we had two years ago is there was no mRNA capacity in the world, zero. The situation is very different today. Modern has $3 billion of annual capacity. Pfizer has $4 billion doses at $7 billion. And the Chinese don't want the vaccines of mRNA. Now Borla is here, being honored by the foundation of the biggest police force in the world. But many, thousands of NYPD detectives and officers aren't receiving a reciprocal honor from Pfizer. 5,000 NYPD officers are on the verge of being fired for not submitting to Pfizer's vaccine. Notoriously, foundations are an avenue for public organizations like police departments or public health agencies to receive money and therefore influence from the private sector. There are three price points for gala tickets ranging from $15,000 to $100,000. Officially, for $100,000, a gala attendee could get a private discussion with NYPD leadership. 
For the early evening gala, the security presence seemed paranoid and over the top. Militarized security vehicles, city officers draped in paramilitary vests, helmets, and assault rifles, seemingly expecting New Yorkers to be unhappy with their public funds being used to give an award to Pfizer. Hours before the event, a security officer in a suit confronted the first and only protester to arrive and asked him how many protesters the police should expect. Uh, how many people coming? I don't know. I don't know. I hope, I hope like, you know, two, three million. Right, well, but it's not going to happen right now. So it's just me right now. Okay, moment. good enough. All right, so you guys stay right here? If that's okay. Yeah, because anything behind you is, like, considered private property. As the event began, more protesters showed up, booing attendees of the gala. Many of them were critical of NYPD leadership, giving Pfizer an award, while hardworking officers' jobs were threatened for not taking the jab. Protesters dressed as the Pfizer vaccine, and some as the mayor of New York City, Eric Adams. In a theatrical display, the Pfizer vaccine character put loads of fake money into the mayor's pockets. People dressed as sheep and followed around the fake mayor. The mayor explained that the sheep signify his New York supporters who don't dare criticize his COVID policies. We, we have the mayor here, and the mayor is being followed by, by sheep. Can, can you explain uh, what the sheep are? These are my unthinking followers. These are the people who do whatever I say. When I say get vaxxed, they get vaxxed. When I say get boosted, they get boosted. And when I say let the celebrities do whatever they want without the mandates, they say, okay, that's fine with me as long as I can go to the game. So basically, I, these are my sheep, yeah. This supporter argued that the city's law enforcement agency giving an award to an organization that has repeatedly broke the wall is, quote, disgusting. Yeah, it's absolutely disgusting. I don't know why anybody would honor Pfizer Pharmaceutical. Um, they are convicted felons. I mean, that's what the records show, right? They've been, they've been uh, penalized for criminal stuff, like lying to the FDA and, and misleading the public. Um, this is not an organization that we should be honoring, especially the NYPD. It's private, they're not letting any, uh, from what I understand, they're not letting any press in there. Uh, that is totally disgusting. Nobody should be honoring these people. At the end of the evening, Tracy Morgan, famous actor and New Yorker, was spotted by protesters leaving the NYPD Pfizer Gala and walking to his illegally parked Ferrari. They yelled at him, accusing him of being a, quote, sellout. With Pfizer being awarded by the NYPD Foundation, it doesn't seem promising that unvaccinated officers will be left alone anytime soon. Recently, it has been reported that the city judge presiding over the city mandate case owns Pfizer stock, which has led some New Yorkers to call for the judge to recuse herself due to conflicts of interest. And days later, she did just that. Judge Valerie Caproni exited the NYC vaccine mandate case. This isn't the first time she has come under fire for less than ethical behavior. As the general counsel to the FBI, she was accused by the House Judiciary Committee of providing legal advice that was inconsistent with federal law, which aided intelligence agencies in the illegal surveillance of innocent Americans. For Rebel News from New York City, Jeremy Lafredo. Oh!